Well, as we move into our message this evening, I just want to note that there are two problems, at least two main problems, with being a Disney movie parent. <laughs> what are they? The first one, and probably the worst one, is you might actually be dead. Because have you noticed how many Disney movies, the parent, at least one of the parents is dead? Do you know how many it is? Here, I'll show you. Okay, go to the next one. Here are some of the Disney, it's at least 20, where at least one of the parents dies in the beginning or is already dead or dies at some point. I mean, it's tragic, really, to be a Disney parent. So you can peruse this list. I think I actually have missed a couple I already can see. So, I mean, that just shows you there's many more. But the other problem with being a Disney parent is that really if you did make it and you are alive, the likelihood is that you have no idea how to raise children, <laughs> right? You probably push your children away and you can't and certainly shouldn't be listened to in the major life decisions. That's just kind of seems like the norm. You think about it, there's so many of these storylines that go that way, like Moana's dad won't let Moana follow her, her longing to go out over the waves into the ocean. Nemo's dad is terrified to let him leave the house, right? King Triton won't let Ariel go explore the surface. I mean, and the list goes on. There's all of these constraints and restraints that parents are putting on these poor Disney children, and Disney won't have any of it because those children should really follow that, that voice that's speaking to their heart, right? But that's the power of these Disney stories though, isn't it? It's captivating, because I think it taps into something really deep within each and every one of us, that we have that voice that's calling to us to something greater, something beyond, right? This voice that's giving us deeper insight. And if we follow it, we'll finally have the freedom of casting off the shackles that come with this life and living out our greatest dreams. If we could finally have that freedom. But is it really all of that? Right? Is it really freedom that way? Right? In each of these stories that I've highlighted, it always leads to some sort of disaster, doesn't it? There's always chaos and pain, and inevitably, because it's a good Disney story, it always resolves nicely. But what is freedom really, and how can we live freely? And is it this longing that we seem to carry? That's what we're going to jump into this evening. As we jump into the next message in our sermon series that we're calling What Matters in the End. This is a series walking through Peter's second letter to the churches. It was written from, likely from prison. Peter knows that he's going to die soon. And so he knows his time is short. And this letter reflects what was really most important to him at the time. Right? Think about it. Writing a letter at this point is not the same as popping open your computer and cranking out, you know, a Word document. I mean, he had to get the supplies. Writing was arduous. It was all handwritten. So this is what he was so concerned about that he took the time to write this letter about what matters in the end. And today, we're going to jump in looking at how can we live free. And so we're going to jump into 2 Peter chapter 2. If you want, you can follow along on the screen. 
Let's look at listen, and listen for God's word together. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of, ple of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lust lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. And let's pray as we move into this word together. Heavenly Father, in these moments as we seek to hear from you, We invite your Holy Spirit to move within us. God, there's so many things that pull on us, pull us in different directions, from responsibilities to desires and hopes, ambitions. Lord, will you cut through all of that tonight? Help us to hear only from you. And give us the grace to respond, that your spirit would awaken within us a longing and an, an ability to respond so that we can become more free and more fully the people you've made us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so last week, we looked at the reality of false teaching. Peter was really concerned that false teaching had risen up in the church in his day and was concerned, I think, about something that remains quite concerning today. And so we looked at a number of common sources of false teaching that are prevalent in our society and within our American churches in particular. And today, we're not going to try to identify what exactly those false teachings were in general. We're going to zero in on one, and we're going to start by looking at the reality of the problem of this false teaching. 
And the problem, as Peter outlines it, is that these false teachers come proclaiming this teaching, which sounds so wonderful, right? It has this lure to it that speaks to us that says, yes, okay, I want that. And yet what happens in the end is it's destructive. He, just, he compares those teachers to, he says, they're springs without water and mists driven by storm. I mean, it's hard to imagine it today, you know, because it's been so wet. But try to imagine there's been an extended drought, right? Or imagine you're trying to, to walk through the desert, right? There was a point where the people of God were brought out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and headed out into the desert. And they went three days with no water at all. Well, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to know that that's not particularly good for the human body. Right? And so imagine, after those three days, when they arrive at the oasis that God provided for them, if they rolled up to the spring of water and said, all right, here we are, finally, they're about to get their drink, and they realize that the spring is totally dry. Right? They, it was like, yes, our longing is fulfilled. We're going to finally get that cool drink of water, but it's just dust and sand and dirt. Speaking of, pardon me. That's what Peter is saying is the problem with this false teaching. It promises us so much. It promises to fulfill the deep longing that we have, and yet it comes up empty like a spring with no water. They promise, he said in verse 19, freedom. Freedom. Isn't that what we long for? Is that really what we hope for? Certainly, it's core to our American heritage, this longing for liberty, for freedom. Right? And the problem is they promised freedom, but what they ended up giving was slavery. And so Peter is concerned that they've become slaves now when they were intended to be free. And I think we still want to be free. I mean, I was reading, there's, it doesn't take very much to, to find all sorts of articles or opportunities or books that talk about how you can be free, free from all sorts of things. And I came across one that was entitled, How to Be Free in a World that Doesn't Want You to Be. Now, doesn't that seem to cut through it? Because doesn't it seem like everything's against you from finally getting the freedom that you want? the freedom that we collectively want. It's like, man, there's always this force coming on us that we can't seem to get out from under. And in the midst of this article, the whole thing is summarized in, in this phrase. He said, my friend, what we really want is freedom. And freedom can only be found in one way. And that way is through self-reliance. Right? In the midst of this article, he's been talking about how so often we think we want money, or we think we want fame, or we think we want power, or we think we want influence, or we think we want all these different things. But what the, the writer of the article argues is that those actually are just like these signs or symptoms of something we long for deeper. Because what we really long for, he's saying, is self-reliance, that we don't have to be dependent on anyone else for anything. Right? We don't need to be dependent on an employer even for a paycheck. We don't need to be dependent on the government to provide anything for us. We don't need to be dependent on another person to give us significance. Right? That we can have it, claim it, build it on our own. Self-reliance. 
Because wouldn't that be freedom to not need anybody else? And at the heart of it, this may have been some of what the false teachers were getting at in Peter's day. They were maybe not saying it in exactly the same way, but it ended up having the same message and the same effect. We're reminded by Peter that they were appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. There was a common common teaching throughout the early church that had to be refuted over and over again, and it went something like this. God's grace is so incredible, it covers over all sins. Does that sound familiar so far? So why not keep sinning? Is his grace not big enough? Is his love not significant enough? If we really push on it, there's something there that's kind of like, you know. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds pretty good. I can have my cake. I can eat it too. Right? But what this essentially did was in the name of God baptized all of the desires of their lives because God was going to forgive it anyway. And so why not be completely self-reliant in determining how your life was going to go? Right? So freedom in this teaching framework became God set you free from all of the guilt of all the decisions that you might make. So make every decision guilt-free. Do whatever you want. It's all covered. There are no restraints for you. And isn't that kind of what we long for from freedom, or at least what we think freedom often means? Like if you had to sit and write a definition for freedom, it would probably involve something that sounded similar, that there wouldn't be external restraints and constraints on you. Now, the the problem with this understanding of freedom is that it just doesn't quite hold because whether we want them or not, we have restraints and constraints, don't we? Whether we want them or not, there are limitations. And so we can't really just do anything our hearts desire, right? We have the easy restraints that we can talk about. We know we have our general physical build, right? That's a restraint. We have our genetic predispositions that are hardwired within us. We've got inherent and latent gifts and talents and abilities or lack thereof, right? I mean, I know for some, if, you know, if we just decided to flip-flop positions and we had the team come sit here and had you go up there, you're like, this is going to be a total train wreck, Right, because we know we know our restraints that exist when when we think about these things, and so we we know that those are somewhat built in, but we don't seem to like restraints when it comes to matters of choice, do we? You know, we don't like having a boundary set. We don't like having a limitation put on us. And and actually, that particular tendency to buck any restraint, I think, is underlying a lot of our political climate in our country. Just depends on which side of the aisle you're sitting on. You're saying, hey, don't restrict my freedom in this way. 
It's mine, don't touch it. Who are you to give any restraint on anything? We have an underlying philosophy that we share about the nature of freedom. The nature of freedom should have no restraint. So you can't put it on me, I can't put it on you. And yet, Peter's warning us that, you know, you don't probably have as much freedom as you think you do if you're defining it by lack of restraint to do whatever it is that makes you the most happy, to follow whatever that voice is inside of your heart or the ocean or whatever is calling you, Moana, thank you, right? right? Because whatever it is, Peter says, that we are mastered by, we are slaves to. And so he would argue to us that whatever it is, we will fight and die for has mastered us. Wherever we're going to draw that line of, yeah, don't, don't restrain me, that's the thing that actually owns you. And so when we find ourselves fighting for that or having a hill to die on or saying this is the thing that's most important or that's going to make me happy or going to give me purpose or meaning or joy or whatever it is, so don't get in my way, the reality is that's not freedom, it's compulsion, We haven't really probably chosen it. It's something that's risen up from within us. Or it's something that someone else has given us and we have taken it on. Whatever it is that drives you, motivates you, causes you to make decisions that are either popular or unpopular is the thing that's mastering you. There's not real freedom in that. It's not freedom if you're simply saying, I want that. See? And and restraints are helpful. Real freedom actually involves restraints and constraints. And we can, again, go back to the easier examples when we look at the reality of our physical lives and our bodies, right? Like, there was a point in my life where I dreamed of being an NBA basketball player. You probably know that if you've been around for long enough. The, the problems are many uh, when it comes to that dream, but it starts with my genetic makeup where I lack fast twitch muscle fiber. The ability to run and jump are somewhat required to be an NBA basketball player. And so where would I be now if I refused to give in to that constraint? Can you imagine? If I was still pushing for that dream well into my... 40s now and just keep grinding away, I'm pretty sure I'd be single. (laughs) Probably wouldn't have four amazing kids. I'd say I'd be living in my dad's basement, but he would have kicked me out a long time ago. So I really have no idea where that would have left me. And so... What if I had refused to allow anyone to tell me, you're just not cut out for it, but I want it. My heart cries out for it. I'm made for this. It's it's what gives me passion and life and joy. Freedom is having this thing. Well, we can see quickly freedom would lead to a place of destruction, if that's the way I was going to define it. Instead, embracing the reality of those constraints caused me to have to look inwardly and 
make other decisions and figure out, okay, that was what I wanted. That's what my feelings desired. But maybe that's not going to actually satisfy in the end. Maybe that's not going to be freedom. That could be slavery. And sent me on a whole other path, a whole other trajectory that's got me where I am now. Enjoying the reality of, of a different space that I promise you back then I did not long for this. And so we need restraints to help us find perhaps what is real freedom. And you can find then within the way you are made, the way you are gifted, particularly what is your inherent talents and abilities that giving into that will lead to an openness and a possibility and a freedom. But you're also not going to develop it without continued restrictions and restraints. You know, I couldn't have just gone from that day where I decided, okay, I'm not going to make it as a basketball player. You know what? I think I'm going to just be a pastor and then jump up, start preaching and pastoring churches. Like, that would not have been good either. I needed the season of intentional training. I needed the restraints of education, of mentorship, of failure and opportunity to grow. I needed these things to constrain me so that it could help me become the best possible version of myself, or at least some, something traject on that trajectory, right? I'm not a finished product by any means. I got a long way to go. And to, today's restraints are a part of getting me to that place. But we, we have this belief in our, our idea of freedom that we just shouldn't need this, like we shouldn't need restraint. But we, we know restraints actually will bring about the kind of growth that we need. When you, when you go to train your body once again, what do you need? You need restraint. What is weightlifting if not adding restraint to the movement of your body? And in the process, breaking down the muscle tissue so that it can then rebuild and lead to improved muscular health and strength. Restraint, which didn't, doesn't necessarily feel good at the time, actually leads to growth and possibility. And so we see that in seasons of our lives where we go through turmoil and hardship. We see it in the seasons where there is intense frustration and pain and hurt and grief. We don't want any of that. It doesn't feel like freedom. Right? Freedom should be, I should be able to be happy. This is what these teachers were getting at. You should have pleasure all the time. That's what they're saying. Do what makes you happy in the moment. And, and yet we find God will show up in our lives in the grief and the darkness and those seasons of pain, and he will shape us and he will grow us. And there is opportunity in that restraint of our freedom. But we don't necessarily like it. <laughs> right? Because that restraint sometimes involves correction. And we feel like we should be free from correction. Right? If we're going to be self-reliant, I don't... I, don't need you to tell me what's going wrong in my life. I don't need you to tell me how to do something better. And yet the reality is, if we don't have that correction, it's like not having weights when we're exercising. 
There's no new potential. I need, we need one another to challenge each other and to hold each other accountable, to speak truth into our lives, even when we don't like it. And I don't like it very often. And yet, that's what loving me looks like. It looks like speaking that hard word that feels like correction, feels like restraint, feels like the restriction of my freedom, but in fact, it's the pathway and the doorway to a new possibility through change and transformation and growth. Right? That restriction is a gift that can be given to us. Sometimes we feel like we should be free from expectations. <laughs> right? That other people shouldn't have expectations for us. Like, we shouldn't have to succumb to that. And, and on one hand, that's true. We don't have to be beholden to other people's expectations, especially unrealistic expectations. It would be really good and healthy to set some firm boundaries for some around what is an unhealthy expectation and your, your just compulsion to try to meet that expectation. That's also not freedom. That's slavery to their approval, probably, or slavery to your need to be needed or need to help. That's not freedom. But there is something to be said about expectations that are healthy and good. Because if we didn't have any expectations of one another, would we have a relationship? Like if I didn't have an expectation of you, you didn't have an expectation of me, well, the freedom in that is I could never be disappointed by you, could I? You know, that, that saying of under-promise and over-deliver, right? You, constantly under-promising, no expectation. So anything would be gravy. But the reality is, when we have a genuine and honest relationship with people, we develop expectations. For good reason. Some of those expectations are that that person is going to be trustworthy, they're kind, they're going to be a good listener, they're going to show up for you, they're in your court. There's good expectations that come. And so if we want to throw off all expectation, well, we're going to throw out the relationship too. But with the relationship also comes expectations that circle back around to responsibility. Because they're going to begin to expect that I'm going to show up, that I'm going to be patient, that I'm going to be kind, that I'm going to be generous, that I'm going to be in, their, in your corner, right? And so suddenly, to have real relationship with one another, we've actually got to give up our freedom, don't we? We've got to give up our self-reliance. We've got to give up our autonomy, and we've got to give it up so that we can meet the expectation of the other so that we can continue in relationship. Now, we work through the broken expectations and that helps grow trust and helps us grow our relationships through the difficulties just like all constraints and, and restrictions do. But expectations set the possibility for relationship. And so when God sets expectations over our lives, it's because he's setting an expectation for relationship. He's giving a context for relationship to actually thrive and flourish. We often think God's got these laws and these rules that are oppressive, that are just really, a lot of them are old-fashioned and, are, I mean, seriously, God? But the reality is God has set his expectations because he's setting the context for relationship. It's not unlike wedding vows, right? Wedding vows are a public declaration of expectations of what you can count on from the other, they can count on from you. And God is setting out very clear expectations of here's what I'm counting on from you. 
And by the way, it's because these restraints and constraints are the best thing for your life so that you can thrive in the way that you've been made so that you can flourish in all of the possibilities of what he's built into you. But it's also then he gives the expectations of you that you can have for him. And so freedom involves expectations and expectations involve restraints. And, but there, it's also then the context for a beautiful relationship to thrive and to flourish where everyone knows how we can function best and what we can count on. So freedom isn't just self-reliance, isn't casting off restraint and constraint. But freedom is actually, Peter's saying, freedom is truly found in the way of righteousness, as he put it out there. The way of righteousness, embracing the expectations that God's put on our lives, the limitations, embracing the reality that I fail to live up to them on a regular basis, embracing that I am actually just like that dog returning to its vomit, as Peter says, going back to these patterns in my life that I can't seem to get out of. Paul said it this way in Romans 7, I continue to do the things I do not want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. I keep these patterns going on in my life. I'm finding that I continue to be a slave to these things that I can't get out of, slave to compulsions and desires, slave to longing for just pleasure and happiness in the moment. Slaves. And so the way of righteousness says instead of pretending that you're not and embracing that as the path to freedom, it's no, acknowledge that reality, that you're a slave to self-reliance and that Jesus has in fact Come so that you can be free. Free in a relationship with God. Free from the slavery to self-reliance, to having to define for yourself the way life should work, what's going to make you happy, fulfill your deepest longings and hopes. Embracing the reality of freedom that you can now be a slave to him rather than a slave to yourself. Our worlds get small when we're so self-absorbed, when we're slaves to just our longing and our desire. We get turned inward in such a way that we shrivel up. But God wants to set you free from that. And he wants to set you free to be a slave of his. And that's, good. that's a good place to be. Because it's not a, a, a position of oppression it's not a position where you're constrained just because it's fun to set rules over your life, but it's a, it's a slavery to set you into true freedom the way you're made to be. And if you're not convinced, just continue to look at the cross. That the one who was truly free, God himself, chose to take on the restriction and the constraint of a human body and a human nature. Continue to restrain his freedom when he was arrested and bound and beaten, refused to embrace the freedom to call down legions of angels to defend him, when at any moment he could have and instead chose the constraints of death on a cross so that you could be set free. You could be in a relationship with him once again, expecting that he'll show up for you as he sets you free to live the life that you're made for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we acknowledge that in so many ways we 
We have wanted to, to be independent and self-reliant. And we've listened to the voices in our head, the desires in our hearts and our bodies and our flesh that we have simply listened to what we think is going to make us happy with lots of encouragement from so many around us to set our own path. And yet, Lord, that path of self-reliance has led to frustration, has led to anxiousness, has led to despair, has led to confusion and uncertainty. Lord, help us. Help us to acknowledge where we have continued to be self-reliant, slaves to ourself, slave, slaves to our desires. Help us instead to, to embrace the freedom that Jesus gives, the freedom that he offers to be in relationship with you, to be wedded to you as your bride with expectations of wedding vows that you will show up, you are for us, you want the best for us. And so Lord, may we live and move in that freedom, embracing your way, in Jesus' name, amen.